for a lot of people, it's about giving them this experience of overcoming barriers. And once they've done it a few times, they start believing in themselves. And once they believe in themselves, this is like a perpetual motion machine. Then there's no stopping them. It's easy to talk about the triumphs, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmere. I'm an adventurer. I've climbed Mount Everest and the Seven Summits, the tallest peak in every continent, and I happen to be blind. And I can tell you, it's been a struggle to live what we call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it can mean. And part of the equation of this life is understanding this process of growth that we're all striving for, to dive down into that experience and illuminate the elements, those universal elements that we have to harness along the way, like waypoints on a trail, like holds on a rock face that lead us forward towards change, towards growth, towards transformation. In that unexplored terrain, Between those safe, dark places that we find ourselves in and the summit is a map that we can use to navigate our lives. It's a far messier, grittier map than we're led to believe, with more flailing and bleeding along the way. But there is a way forward. That map is what we call No Barriers. This is the No Barriers podcast. Today we meet George Heinrichs, whose new company features a technological solution that will revolutionize public safety. George is the CEO of Andy, a rapid DNA analysis product that produces a DNA ID in less than two hours. George compares this change in DNA analysis to the transition from photography, from film-based to digital media. George is a former CEO and founder of Entrato, an advanced 911 call services company. Among many awards, George has received the Denver Telecom Professionals Executive of the Year Award, the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Technology. And George serves on the board of No Barriers. He's a fellow in the Radio Club of America and is the co-chair of the International Association of Chiefs of Police Foundation. Welcome to our No Barriers podcast. I'm really excited today. We have George Heinrichs joining us to talk about his experiences uh, with no barriers and facing adversity. He's from the business world. Uh, it's going to be a very compelling story. Uh, he is one of the most successful and dynamic entrepreneurs that I personally know. Um, and I think you're going to see that through the conversation. But before we get started with George, one of the things we're going to learn about from George is he started a few pretty darn successful businesses in his lifetime. And so I thought I'd start by just asking uh, Eric and Jeff, have you guys ever dreamed of starting your own business? Yeah, it's something that I think is so fascinating, you know, starting a business, going through any kind of process of growth. I mean, for me, that's kind of what No Barriers is. Like, what does that process of growth look like? And what does it really look like? Like, what does that equation really look like? So I'm excited to talk to George because he's spent a lot of his life taking nothing and growing it into something. Like, he knows how to grow things. And uh, I want to understand that process better. Yeah. 
Jeff, ever dream of starting your own business? Well, um, I, I'm not sure about that, but I, th- I think that as a, as a father and I, you know, trying to, to raise a son that's going to at some point find his way professionally, I'm always trying to reinforce this idea of just find what you love and do it. It doesn't matter what happens. Just go do it. Go do it no matter what. And then all the other things will come out. And I feel like that's what George has done. So. Um, I'm really kind of curious to hear his story and how that all that that roller coaster played out for him. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. I tried to serve this one up to you guys. You could have both said you already have started your own businesses. Well, I didn't want to be. You know, I just didn't. <laughs> you didn't want to do that. You didn't want to go that direction. It was too, it was too it's, much of a. Softball. I thought you were gonna be like, yeah, and I started one day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've taken the blind climbing uh, business to the, a new level. <laughs> you really got to you got like strangle the market, a stranglehold on the entire industry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm locked down Pretty on the whole clear. market there. It's yeah. yeah, it's been good. I'm a I'm a industry. Let's call it a monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should we should get started with our uh, our guest today. So uh, George Heinrichs, we are thrilled to have you here. Um, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your current entrepreneurial venture. Well, thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity and. I have to start by saying I'm humbled by the people I'm with because the things that have been accomplished around the table are pretty impressive. And um, I feel like the business stuff may not really hold a candle to some of the accomplishments here. But but it's a pleasure to talk about business. And, you know, it is the kind of the way that, that we make our way in the world for a lot of people. So it's fun to talk about that. Um, but it's, it's more than just business. I mean, because like you're sort of, I, I feel like your mind and your, all your experience sort of leads you down a certain direction, business being a big part of that, you know, that entrepreneurial thing of what you want to grow in your life, right? I mean, it's all connected. No, oh, I think that's right. I, in the beginning, I guess I would say that um, we, my businesses have always involved uh, some kind of a social objective. And I can't say that I started out thinking that way. I wasn't that disciplined or thoughtful, but but that is the way it worked out. And and I think that I usually saw business as uh, giving me the privilege of, of accomplishing those objectives. Because if I created a business, then I could create cash flow, I could create resource availability and surround myself with really great people. And as a result, I could go accomplish those other things. And the fact that you make money or that you build a business is kind of, in one way, only a side benefit of this whole thing, right? Um, because... And I think this is true for most businesses, that people who have a bigger picture mission tend to be more successful. And I'm not a big fan of the whole mission and vision thing, you know, from a business, uh, the business school perspective. But I am, a, I am a believer that you have to be doing something you believe in and that it makes a difference. And you get up every morning and you care about that thing, whatever that is. And my current business is related to public safety, which my other business, my other large business was as well. But what this business does is uh, we have technology that uh, decodes human DNA in less than two hours, which kind of on the surface, people wonder, well, how's that really a public safety thing? And there are there are both these kind of emotional drivers that we can talk about that, that are important, like um, the average rapist uh, typically will assault 12 women before he's arrested. And that's partly because it takes so long to process the evidence. And in some cases, it was only about a year ago, they estimated that there were more than half a million rape kits sitting on shelves in evidence rooms, unprocessed. And so what that means is if you don't do that quickly, 
you're creating more and more victims. And that's just, it's not necessary. It's not appropriate. We've got to stop the bad guys, right, at the right, when, as soon as we can, so that these people aren't victims. And so that's a powerful mission. But the mission's more complicated. The technology can be used and is used by special forces in, in targeting terrorists, and it's used, uh, you know, chasing pirates, and you hear about these pirates taking over ships. DNA's a piece of that strategy. Um, we also use it... Um, in human trafficking cases. So it's a common method to get kids across the border that are sold into slavery or the sex trade. Uh, they're forced to lie about their parents and at the threat of death. And so they managed to move them across the border. And in one study, they showed 80% of the kids moving across the border were unrelated to the adults bringing them across. So, so those are really compelling numbers. And typically, if you uh, take DNA evidence or DNA identification information, it's somewhere between uh, six months and two years to get the answer back. And so we do this in two hours with no training in a rugged environment. I mean, it's been done in the back of Humvees and helicopters and, and fast boats. And so it's very rugged and it's designed to be used by people with little or no training. And I think people also kind of... Um, think, well, maybe that's a privacy issue. But I think one of the important points we're trying to make is if we decode your DNA completely, it's about a six billion uh, character decode, right? That's, that's all you, when someone says, you know, tell me all about your DNA. And that could tell a lot about a person, even today. And there's a lot we don't know about the DNA. But this thing produces a little um, output that's 200 characters. It's just enough to identify a person. And it... Um, it provides accuracy of one in a trillion trillion. So it's estimated that about 107 billion people lived on the planet in the whole history of people living on the planet. Right. And this uh, provides selectivity of one out of a trillion trillion, one followed by 24 zeros. So the power of this thing is to positively identify people. It doesn't really contain a, any medical data. It's intentionally chosen not to reveal details about a person other than their identity. And so it's a way that we can solve crimes that have been unsolved and stop criminals. It turns out it's a pretty small number of people who are committing a lot of the crime. And so if you can take those people out of the cycle early, society's just a lot safer. And, and it's also really a powerful tool to exonerate innocent people. Yeah. It's kind of like a minority report-ish kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> a little bit ahead of the curve. All uh -huh, right. Yeah. 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 Has it been used yet, like in a court? Well, there, there are a number of cases in process. The product's relatively new. It's been used in the military since 2014. So it's been around a while to be validated. Uh, the first version of it, the FBI certified. Um, but criminal cases normally take anywhere from a year to two years to get to court. So it's been used. We've, we've uh, had a role in solving some homicides in and, and the early deployment areas. So it is, it is being used, and it's pretty effective. You seem like a, you know, I've, I've known you for a few years, and you, you've all, you seem like a, uh, a seeker. You know, you're curious. You're, you know, you're a, a guy who wants to know more and learn more. Um, and I know your, your previous business in Trotto, right, was, was right. all about you know, sort of 911, pre-911 and, and sort of stepping in there. Did you have any uh, inclination early on uh, professionally um, that you were going to sort of head down this road where you're dealing with 
um, you know, statistics, genetics, uh, you know, and, and these formulas that have to go into, you know, our big social construct? Or is this something you've had to kind of learn on the fly or, or tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So my first business was related to 911 and involved rebuilding most of the North American 911 infrastructure. And the mission there, at the time we got involved, the error rate in 911 call processing was about 10%. And we went in with a mission to fix that and, uh, and to be profitable, to be a successful business. And what we did was uh, we took that service over, and in the course of our company, we processed uh, just over 3 billion 911 calls um, and drove the error rates to really tiny numbers. And during that period, I became very expert in the issues of emergency communications. Um, as we got into DNA, it wasn't my intention to be you know, into molecular biology or any of the other associated fields. And, you know, I had the great fortune of uh, having a friend who uh, was peripherally involved with this company, and he introduced me to the founder, and I was just blown away by this guy. He was so bright and had all the right motivations, but um, from a business view, needed some support to go build this business out. And after we got to know each other, he asked me to serve as CEO and and take over the company from a business view, and he continues to be the lead scientist. So, so I'm still a junior birdman on the science front. <laughs> this guy is uh, unbelievably brilliant, and has solved a. We've solved a number of hard science problems that no one had been able to solve before, uh, that make rapid DNA possible. Now, you, you know, your work and your life are so connected. Like, didn't you start out as a police officer? Yeah, I. You know, when I was a kid. Um, for whatever reason, I was out looking for jobs all the time, and one of the jobs I ended up with was as a graveyard dispatcher at the local police department because yeah. I could work there and go to school and make money. And so I got to know the police officers, and and I loved it. And then went on. I got involved in EMS, and right. and ultimately went to school. And, and at that point, my parents had both passed away, and I needed money. And I thought, well, I'll just get a job as a dispatcher while I'm at school studying computer science. And one thing led to another, and I was attracted, I think, by the adrenaline of, you know, and, and all the positive things about law enforcement work. And plus, I figured out they paid a lot better than a lot of things I was looking at. And so that job just morphed into where I landed for the first 10 years. So I was a cop for about 10 years. And then I realized if I stayed there, I'd probably be there mm -hmm. the rest of my career. And I wanted to go do something else. So I brilliantly decided that we, whatever we did, we wouldn't do business with government because I was so frustrated with how the red tape all worked. And of course that took about six months till I realized I didn't know anything else. So we started doing business with government and uh, one thing led to another and we were asked to help with some 911 stuff and I just couldn't believe what we were seeing. And so we got involved, but, but I think- Your experience as a, you know, wor working as a police officer, right? Like your experience, but you were probably like seeing how bad it was, right? Well, you got some sense of that, I got probably a more important message for me was just the criticality of it, just right. understanding the people's lives were on the line and that if you did things right, you could make a difference and those people would be alive. You know, there would be different outcomes. You wouldn't be the cause, right? But, but you could be the fix. And that was exciting to me. I mean, I just found huge uh, satisfaction in that process. And, you know, I'd do anything to do. I was hooked on that. So these stories that you're telling, the businesses you build are changing the world and making the world a better place. But what we like to talk about is the, the hard parts, the parts that um, get to the heart of what do you do in the, in the moment of struggle? And so as you look back at 
at Intrato or Andy, the current business that you're working on. Tell us about the big struggles, the things that you didn't think you were going to make it through and, and bring us to one of those points. Yeah, I think, um, you know, more of them happened early in my career. I mean, at least that's the way it seems now when I look back on things. I think maybe as I'm older and I've built more resources and, know, you know, maybe have better judgment, whatever all came with that time, you know, I'm able to deal with things. They don't feel quite as threatening as they did, you know, in the early days. But there were a lot of times where I went home and wondered if this was it, whether this was going to work or not. And I figured out that it was, in part, it's about believing in what you're doing. But also, for me at least, it was about understanding that um, showing up and really putting you know, your heart in things, you can work through almost any problem. And maybe not every problem, right? Maybe there's a reset. But even, I think I've you know, heard it said frequently that even that serves as a lesson, right? You won't do that again. I think we've talked about our companies. My, uh, my buddy, Steve Muir, uh, co-founded Entrato with me, and uh, we had known each other for a while before we did that together. But um, I think he would agree, and I've, we've both said before, that we think our company probably failed three or four times mm. and that we just weren't smart enough to know it was time to quit. <laughs> and we just kept going. We just said, we're not going to let it fail. We won't let that happen. And uh, so we would, you know, we'd stick it out. We would find a way. And there were a lot of nights where... Um, I think from an, in the 9 world, um, whether this makes sense or not to people, we went home every night believing the weight of the world was on our shoulders for emergency calling. That, that there were, you know, at that point, 250 million people that if they dialed 911, our stuff damn well better work. Mm. And that it could be the worst moment of their lives and they would call for help. And, and we wanted to be so certain that that all worked, that when you carry that load around, I mean, I have to tell you, when I finally left that position, there, it was like euphoria for several weeks, feeling like I was somehow free. You attribute a few of your gray whiskers to... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. You face sort of the human problems, right? You'd, you'd have a call that was in the newspaper that someone died, and someone would say, well, maybe it was a problem with 911. And what we learned very quickly was that you can't buy into any of that until you actually do the research. You've got to figure out what the truth is, because the truth isn't necessarily what people perceived at the very beginning. Um, once you get all the facts, it may be a different story. And we would have employees that would read that, and they'd be crushed. I mean, you could see the person was in a total, who was responsible for that area, would would own that and, and feel like they had a hand in it. And mm -hmm. You know, in all our time, in all our research, we never had a case that was ours wow. that we owned directly. But but what we did do was, you know, we wouldn't let a single one of those go. And we had this philosophy of continuous improvement where anything went wrong, the best thing was the harsh truth, right? If we didn't speak the harsh truth to each other about what was going on, you know, if you try to gloss it over or make it sound better, that wasn't, that didn't help. Mm -hmm. And so it was the harsh truth and it was really aggressively acting to not only fix that problem, but make really certain it never reoccurred if it was one that we could have control over. That was it. But I think that's how No Barriers applies to everything that we were doing, right? Yeah. I mean, No Barriers is about overcoming these obstacles. And Yeah, one of the things that strikes me from your, your story that you just told is, you know, you said your business almost failed, you know, probably failed three times and you're just too, right. too stubborn or, you know, too dedicated to realize it. So one of the things we teach about is that part of overcoming and harnessing adversity all begins with purpose and vision um, and a commitment to that thing that you're trying to do. 
So can you talk a little bit about how that, that purpose in your life really drives you through those moments you know, to help get you through them? You know, I think we all have this huge collection of experiences that make us people, right? And when I was a kid, I had um, parents who uh, both were alcoholics and it was a constant cycle of domestic violence. And I think that drove me toward law enforcement, drove me to how do you not let this go on, right? And to my mom's credit, you know, she divorced my stepdad. She did break the cycle, which takes huge courage for people to do that who are trapped in that situation. But as a little kid and you watch this stuff going on or you're the victim of this stuff, it's, you know, it's pretty damaging. But that, I think that begins to ingrain this message. And then, you know, I, like I said, I did some work in EMS, nothing compared to what uh, Jeff has done. But you don't have to see that many people dying or dead and kind of understand what the dynamics are to really start kind of branding your brain with this makes a difference. I need to I need to do something. And and I I'm guessing Jeff's like this. There were certain people that, you know, I cared about them, but nothing like I cared about kids or I cared about truly innocent victims, which were the most damaging. You know, you'd carry those with you forever. And the you know, the guy who was drunk and who killed the family, you know, I'm sorry he's hurt, but I, it didn't, I didn't carry it around with me like guilt, right? And yeah. so, but those things then become the driver. And, and at our company, for example, in the 911 side, uh, we did several things. One, we would make it a point to tell stories about, because I think stories are really important. I think if, if you tell people stories, that's how they really relate. I mean, this is like the history of man, right? I mean, throughout our Throughout the whole evolution of man, that's what we do is tell stories to each other. And it's how we communicate values and it's how we communicate, you know, experience. And there are all these really wonderful attributes. But we would make it a point to share stories about the work that people did. And it's our belief, and it's still my belief, that everybody in that company contributed to saving lives. I mean, I don't care if they were the janitor. If they didn't do their job, this really wouldn't have worked out the same way, probably. And... That's an extreme example, but I think it's true. And I think I think the people there bought in. And the result was that we built a culture of people, and I think this is important in business, is we built a culture of people who weren't going to, they weren't going to pay any attention to barriers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these are people who will march through hell if they believe this is going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I think the DNA thing, while, you know, there's some people could attribute some political stuff to that. I think the reality is that when you see how it impacts uh, the world. I, I think it's the same impact. And our view of this right now, with uh, based on, on, I think, some reasonably reliable data is that we can drop the crime rate in the United States 30 to 50 percent. And I think, I think if you do that, that's massive. I mean, just think of all the bad things that happen to people that don't need to happen to people. And part of it's about intervening before it gets that far. Yeah. Right? Well, you talked about the you know, everyone stepping up in that process and being a part of it. Like Jeff and I, when we were climbing Everest, uh, we were stuck in a storm at 27 and a half thousand feet and our base camp manager had been studying the weather patterns. And um, he, you know, he, he wasn't on the summit team, but he had the courage to say, hey guys on the radio, like I think this storm is gonna pass you by. I think it's heading north towards Bhutan and I think it's fast moving and I'm, I'm making a call here that I think you should keep going. And that was like tremendous courage. Like this is a guy who, you know, even though he wasn't going to stand there with us, he was going to have a stake in this process. And he was either going to, with that call, like drive us forward and we're going to have massive success or he was going to kill us. Right. So how do you, 
how do you create that kind of courage like in your teams you know what I mean like because you're doing such big important stuff like if if people screw up you know lives are on the line so like how do you get people to have the courage to like pull their head out of the foxhole and go you know I want to I want to make a courageous call here and be a part of this thing yeah I don't I guess I'd be reluctant to take responsibility for creating that I think I mean I think maybe we do some things to contribute to it but it all comes from the core of those people and I think that what's important to us is helping them develop that right in themselves develop their own confidence and buying into the mission and the other thing that happens that I think uh you know there's been Jim Collins wrote about it quite a bit actually is that people who have a shared set of values you know are connect like that yeah. and people who don't share those values either self eject or they are ejected by the organization because they don't they don't fit in and yeah. so i think this is you know, while you're very generous, Dave, and, you know, complimenting the businesses that we created, I think, I think, and this is true today, the people that I work with are just as responsible for what we're doing as anybody in the management team. There, and some of them more, like Dr. Selden, who's just doing unbelievable stuff, right? But I think, I think a piece of it, sometimes what I see in management teams is I see them actively crushing this. Right. And so maybe it's more about what we don't do than it is about what we do. And, you know, you want to reinforce the people who, you know, are fired up. But I we had people and part of our goal was to give them latitude to make their own decisions. Right. right. We didn't want to be their boss. We wanted them to be part of the team. And when everybody's part of the team, it's a, and that's not to say there aren't moments when somebody has to make the call. Right. I don't mean to you know, make it sound like it's a giant democracy because that wasn't the case either. Right. But but the reality is that that I think the people, that kind of courage comes from within and it comes with them believing and sharing this value set and that you trust that. But for a lot of people, it's about giving them this experience of overcoming barriers. And once they've done it a few times, they start believing in themselves, right? And once they believe in themselves, this is like a perpetual motion machine. Right. Then there's no stopping them because they... And I think that's true, you know, starting businesses is hard, and there are probably 10,000 or 100,000 or multiple millions of things you can do to screw it up. But the truth is that I think people who really are focused will succeed at that. And the numbers don't show that, and I think it's because people hit those barriers and, and they talk themselves out of it. You know, suddenly they lose their, their will to take that next step. And I think it's a lot about just doing it. And I, I have to say some of the most difficult things that I've ever faced, uh, I figured out that the most important part was dress up and show up. And if I, if I did that, I could work through even the things. And I, we had corporate conflicts with people who were on the board. We had conflicts with major U.S. corporations who wanted to do one thing and we wanted to do something else. And so we were dealing with people for, in a business world sense that had all the power in the world that we could imagine. And we had to stand up to those when we thought it was wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And or when they created a barrier that we felt had to be overcome. And in some ways, as I got older, you know, I care less and less about things, and I care more and more about people. And I, I don't really go to bed at night fearing the things that I feared when I was younger. I, I go to bed now um, thinking about what you know, what what are the good outcomes, and about being appreciative for the good things that are happening because they're so massive. Mm -hmm. So George, you've been a, obviously a, a big advocate and supporter of No Barriers over the years for quite a long time now. And have you noticed, or I guess, has it occurred to you at some point that 
all of the messaging and content that you've been a part of and sharing through No Bears, is, did it exist in your mind and your life and your trajectory before you even encountered it? And it, was it intuitive in you as a developer and a person who leads people and, and creates things out of nothing? Is this something that existed? And then when you sort of came in and joined in with the No Barriers messaging, did you say, well, I've been kind of been doing that the whole time. And that's why it makes so much sense. Is, is that one of the reasons why? I hate to put words in your mouth. So I guess when I look at the No Barriers message, I think there are pieces of it that I would almost uh, translate to values or really big picture life concepts that I was signed up for conceptually, but I didn't articulate them nearly as well. I, I mean, I think that's the power of this thing. And, and I think I, I, there's another piece to this that, that's maybe even politically incorrect, but, but I think when I see people facing challenges that are so much bigger than mine, accomplishing things that if nothing else, it, it makes me just stop and go, how could I possibly complain? How could I possibly tell you this is a problem for me? Right. Because I've been blessed with all these other things. What, how could I use that as an excuse? That's just stupid. And it's not to put anyone else down. It's just to say when I get a bigger appreciation for kind of the, the whole world, I, I just I can't say enough about the people that I see in No Barriers and what they accomplish and how impressed I am and how insignificant I think what I've accomplished is compared to what they're doing. I have kind of a big question for you. Maybe it's a little too conceptual, but I mean, like, so, you know, No Barriers, we're working on, we're working with people who are going through this, this process of trying to grow, right? They're trying to change. And that's a hard process, right? Like, I think there's a lot of myths. Like, it's, it's, there's a lot more flailing and bleeding along the way. But, you know, there maybe is a kind of a, navig a, a map that we can navigate. So you, you've been growing things uh, for a long time. So, like, what, wh what makes the difference? Like, what are the secrets? Like, are there any pieces that you can pull out that you can say, like, this is the difference in that process that we're, you know, we're trying to go through this thing and we're getting stuck along the way? What I can say is that every time I see an obstacle for myself, at least, you know, I try to go down the path that's going to solve it. And I don't accept defeat until I've tried alternatives, right? It's just not one test and I give up. Right. It's, it's I got to keep adjusting this because I don't get it right. And even things I've done a hundred times before that I thought I knew the answer to, you know, the universe manages to show me that I didn't really know the answer. And I, I have a friend who mm -hmm. says... Uh, which I, I love this statement, but he says uh, his motto is that life's lessons will be repeated until learned. <laughs> and I just think that's so true. You just, you just keep you know, being confronted with whatever this problem is you're creating until you, until you figure out the answer, until you learn it, and then you move on. But that'd be my only answer, I yeah. think. Dr. Hugh Hurry was a friend of ours at No Barriers. Uh, he builds these really sophisticated prosthetic legs at MIT. And he told me that as a scientist, like 90% of his day is failure. Like, and he actually showed me like this trail of uh, parts of these prosthetics. And he's like, this one didn't work. He put that in my hand. He'd say, this one didn't work. This one didn't work. And he has this trail of parts that went nowhere that sort of in a weird backwards way kind of showed him the way. And so uh, that's what I'm thinking about as I hear you is that, there are a lot, so it sounds like there's a lot more quote unquote failure or shortfall in the equation um, as you're in that nimble approach, right? 
Absolutely. So at this point, uh, for this new company, you know, we have to raise money because the financial scale of this thing is pretty big. And so I'm in talking to bankers in New York or wherever, and, you know, they, they sort of bait you with these questions like, um, well, do you think you, you know, you have the experience? Do you know everything you need to know? And, you know, my answer is, I think I've screwed up more things than most people around here, so I'll avoid those. I'm not sure what new lessons there are, but I'm great at all the crap I've screwed up already. So I have this huge library of stuff not to do, but I haven't, you know, I haven't figured all the right answers. But I think people... Does that answer work? Do they give you money? Most of them smile and they look at me, and so far I'm doing okay on the money front, so maybe it's working, maybe it's working. So you know No Barriers well, we work with youth, we work with... Warriors, veterans uh, who have disabilities. We work with, you know, people facing major challenges in their lives. Uh, some would kind of look at this move for No Barriers to work with companies as companies like that doesn't quite fit. You know, like you're you're in the business of changing kids' lives, changing veterans' lives. What about how does this company fit in? So you've been a big supporter of this initiative. So tell our listeners how that how that fits and why you think it's equally important. The truth is that you don't go home and say, well, I learned something today and I just apply it in my personal life. I don't apply it in my business life or vice versa. I mean, the reality is that you're a whole person and that when you learn these things, you carry them with you in everything that you do. And so what this is, is this is a program that helps transform those people. So that's good. But the business world is really about this simple concept, which is if I create value, genuine value, then someone else will pay for it. That's how this works, right? And so why I'm so excited about this is that we create this thing of value, which is this incredible sort of um, work, the, the set of concepts and documents that are well-articulated, structured, with field experience about their use and about their impact, take all that stuff, package it, and sell it. And now it feels like we're driving the bus, Right? It feels like we have some control over this and that we can generate the revenue, but not because somebody feels sorry for me. It's because people want what we have, and it's because we can change their life, too, for the better. We can change their company for the better. Right? We're going to give people this, this thing of value that we have at No Barriers, and in exchange, they're going to give us money. And when they give us money, then the programs that you talked about, Dave, we can scale. And we can reach more people, we can deliver those messages, we can help people out of those dark places, right? And I just think that's, that's so powerful. And it's so silly of us to sit back and not drive the bus. Because if, you, if all you do is ride all the time, you know, you, you don't have any clue where you're going. You can go the wrong place. It's not a good thing. Well, George, listening to you makes me want to not be in this podcast room I want and go build right this. Now. Let's get yeah. on that. Yeah, jump up and down. Go build the bus that's going to take us to where we want to go with the uh, the resources that we need. So, George, you have been such a wonderful supporter of No Barriers uh, early on uh, prior to being a board member. Uh, so thank you so much for all you've done for us at No Barriers to Grow Our Business. And thanks for what you're doing right now, uh, the work you're doing with Andy, our listeners should check this out. It's pretty phenomenal. What's the website? It's andy.com, A-N-D-E.com. You should check out that work. Uh, really exciting and important work for our world. But thank you so much, George. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure to be here. And thanks for all that you guys do. I, I think what I've done, it pales greatly in comparison. And maybe we get this other thing going, we can help accelerate things and really make a difference. 
Yes, thanks, George. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Well, Eric, Jeff, we always like to close with a little yeah. bit of reflection. Uh, that was a, as always, uh, George has tons of energy and passion for this work. Uh, gets you kind of jazzed up, makes you want to get up and go do something. So, Eric, what did you take away from the conversation? I mean, you can't help but take away how do you drive the bus in your life, in your organizations, all the things we're doing in our families, right? So, you know, you, you, you build something that creates value in the world that's a fair exchange, and then it builds the resources to be able to deliver that thing and do g- great work in the world, right? The two aren't separated. The two are all connected. I love that. That's a good message for all of us. How about you, Jeff? Well, I just I think of George's professional history, and and um, I, I'm guessing, you know, he chose to gravitate towards these social responsibility business endeavors, and you know, I, I I get to talk to folks a lot of times that just make and then produce and sell widgets, and we all need widgets. The world needs widgets, but um, I like the idea of having you know a a human element involved and what comes with that. And George even you know, admitted to it that it is a, somewhat of a burden, but I like that burden. Like that burden means something and it creates, it creates a, I think a stronger urge to be able to succeed and do it the right way. Um, and heavy is the head that wear the crown, you know, yeah. like it's, it's a, uh, it's a heavy thing, but I commend George for doing it. And I'm really glad he's a part of our community. I can say that. Creates a lot of energy, it seems to. Yeah, for folks to, to rally around and for you to really want it to succeed. Dan, yeah. what about you? I mean, certainly uh, when George was talking about purpose-driven leadership and businesses, that resonated with the work that we do at No Barriers. But I think one thing that struck me that we find in these podcasts that we're doing is you always uh, you discover something new. Like I didn't know about George's uh, history of growing up and what he faced as a young kid with his uh, parents and the adversity that that presented. Um, I kind of wanted to dig into how he, you know, we talked to a lot of people who talk about those adversities in their lives and, and look what where he's come from there. Um, and we didn't dive into that. Yeah, well, we you know, we mentioned that before George even showed up today. It was like, I wonder if there was some sort of historical thing that led him down this path. And sure enough, yeah, like, right. to your point, it, it, it did. Yeah, yeah. I always find those discoveries fascinating, what, yeah. what led someone on that path. And of course, there are many things that led George, but that was just one new thing that was uh, enlightening. So thank you guys, uh, Eric, Jeff, George. Thanks for being with us. Uh, as always, There are many ways you can help No Barriers. One is if you enjoy this podcast, share it with one other person. Uh, We can grow our podcast listenership by you sharing these stories with others. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll look forward to the next podcast. No Barriers. All right. Thanks to all of you for listening to our podcast. We know that you have a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and so we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, which is called Guidance. The production team behind this podcast includes producers Diedrich Jonk and Pauline Schaefer, sound design, editing, and mixing by Jesse Singer and Tyler Kotman, Graphics by Sam Davis and marketing support by Laura Baldwin and Jamie Donnelly. Thanks to all you amazing people for the great work you do. They will be fighting.